it was really a really cool feeling though when we were literally like cutting the wood from the SketchUp model. Like I was measuring off the SketchUp model, cutting wood in real life, and then like putting up the framing and it all fit together perfectly. It was like really neat. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. The first time I met Kiva and Jake in person, Jake excitedly handed me what looked like some headgear from Star Trek and invited me to put it on my face. I was immediately transported from the hotel restaurant we were in to a three-dimensional tiny house that I could walk around in. When I turned my head in real life, my view of the tiny house turned as well. It was a bit dizzying, but really exciting that Jake could literally hand a cheap VR headset to anyone and allow them to experience what it's like to be inside of a tiny house. Before we get that far, though, we have to hear about how Jake and Kiva started their YouTube channel on a whim, thinking that it would be secondary to their tiny house build. But in reality, finding that the YouTube channel about building their tiny house actually overtook the building of their tiny house. I hope you stick around for my interview with Jake and Kiva. But first, a quick shout out to Tiny Home Ashley, who left a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. She says, I avidly follow the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast. Ethan picks amazing guests, and there are always nuggets of truth that come out that I would have never thought to ask. Well, Ashley, I hope to keep those nuggets of truth coming. And if you like what you hear on the show today, please take a moment to rate and review the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Ethan Waldman. My guests today are Jake Stevenson and Kiva Ghani from Tiny Nest Project. Jake and Kiva are a Canadian couple living on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. The Tiny Nest Project started as a conversation in 2012 after watching a documentary on tiny homes. After a period of research and money saving, they moved to Kiva's family farm and began building. Since completing their tiny house, Jake and Kiva have created an online course on how to use SketchUp to design tiny houses and offer other interesting design services, including 3D rendering and 3D tours of tiny houses. Jake and Kiva, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So I was curious if we could just start with your tiny house story. You know, what brought you to tiny houses and what was the catalyst that made you go from, oh, this is a cool idea to we are doing this? Well, just like you said in the intro, we uh, watched a documentary. It was called uh, We the Tiny House People. Yeah. And you found it through... Yeah, I was taking a film course in a university, and I had to watch a few documentary films, so I just found it online, watched it, and then showed Jake, because I was just like so blown away. And from there, we just sort of like had it in our minds that that was something that we could possibly do. At the time, we were in a one-bedroom apartment, which was plenty space for us. In fact, there was un unused space there. And, you know, that documentary wasn't even specifically about tiny houses on wheels, which has become sort of the primary trend in the minimal sort of lifestyle uh, thing that's, that's going on now. It was a variety of all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, I think there was like um, a garage conversion that had 
this crazy transformative cube in the center. You know, like if you've gone in down the tiny house rabbit hole, you've probably seen all these different kind of clever uh, small spaces. And, and that's what that documentary was. And it really got us thinking about um, just living spaces and realizing that we were renting this really standardized apartment, but we didn't necessarily need to keep doing that. We could pursue uh, ownership of our home in a t- by taking a different avenue than like saving up and getting a mortgage and doing the whole kind of standard uh, house thing. Because where we were living at the time, which was Victoria, BC, uh, the real estate market was starting to go out. Of, like now it's even more insane, but it was really starting to swell then. And the, the concept of getting a regular house just seemed completely out of reach. So it was really good timing, like right at that time uh, that it seemed less and less realistic to get a regular house. It became more and more realistic to consider a, like a tiny alternative Cool. So what's your lifestyle like now and, and how is it different from before you went tiny? It's quite different from before. Um, we now live on acreage and I had a horse that I was boarding up in Victoria. So now he lives on the property with me and we're kind of doing different types of work to support us now than we were when we lived in Victoria. Jake is doing a lot of 3D modeling and just like our YouTube channel. And I'm doing some online stuff and also just working at a farm and like a stable. So it's a totally different lifestyle than when we lived in the city. Yeah, I was, um, I I completed an entire electrician apprenticeship while in Victoria, which was a really great. I'm like, I'm glad that I did that because I can always fall back to it, which was kind of my goal with it to begin with. I never, envision myself being a career electrician until retirement necessarily, because I do have a lot of interest and sort of desire to try different things. Um, but I, I was doing that and it was, you know, reliable kind of regular job. Uh, and you were doing, uh, you worked at a clothing store. Yeah. Right. At, yeah. Um, sort of like a so, so somewhat upscale shopping area. Yeah. So it's like electrician and, uh, upscale clothing in a not it wasn't a big city but it was a city and we switched from that to being on like you said we're on uh, five acres in a fairly rural area and <laughs> keep us taking care of horses and working at a farm and i'm uh sort of self-employed doing uh our whole tiny nest thing which that just happened completely by chance to we didn't necessarily uh, realize that we were going to do YouTube or anything. Um, Like as we started uh, deciding to pursue the tiny house, it was all about um, making the lifestyle change. And uh, we considered filming it and YouTube was really uh, on a roll at that time, getting popular and more people using it and more people getting into it. And uh, my sister actually has a children's sort of music video channel called Pancake Manor. And they were, that channel was really on the up and up at that time. And when I mentioned YouTube to her, she was like, oh yeah, do it for sure. You know, you can like really get a, you can, you can get something going there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll give it a try. Like, 
it's going to be very much secondary to our project. And of course, <laughs> eventually it actually started to take over when we got far enough into YouTube and it started to actually grow. We found ourselves sort of, you know, we, we see this thing building that uh, could really complement the lifestyle we were aiming for, which was to have sort of control, some, some form of self-employment. We're sort of entrepreneuring this YouTube channel and we made this website and we could see a way to kind of make a small amount of money that would be enough to support the, the minimal uh, low cost lifestyle of the, the tiny house. So we started getting more and more invested in it and eventually started putting more time into that than actually finishing the house. The construction slowed down and I have to admit that we're still not completely finished everything because it, we eventually uh, you know, finished some of the important stuff and moved in and moving in before it's finished is not advisable because then it's really easy to just never get back to finishing off. What are some of the things that aren't done yet? Well, the shower. Yeah. And then some other stuff like just like some trim and staining some of the, we have a sort of a, some prototype shelving that we, we put in to make sure it would fit and that it was functional. Um, we need to take out, you know, there, it, there are some benefits. I highly advise against it, <laughs> but there are some benefits <laughs> to moving, at least making use of the space before you've completely like locked everything in because there have been several things that we realize that we would do or kind of not do in daily operation that affected what we eventually did put in to the space it's hard to give a concrete example but like the shelving you know I, well we were going to do we were going to buy a new fridge and it was like we really wanted a freezer on the bottom not the standard fridge that you open and then there's like the fr freezer on the top and we we kind of moved in and made a temporary kitchen and just bought like a bar fridge off of craigslist and uh we ended up really liking that that fridge it was kind of a it was big for a bar fridge and we thought you know this is a perfect size for the fridge stuff that we have but it had no freezer portion so when we when we needed a freezer rather than buying a whole new fridge that was a fridge freezer combo we just kept the existing fridge and bought a, like a separate freezer that was the same brand so we could stack them on each other and so like everything is weirdly evolved so instead of it being like we made the plan and stuck to it before ever starting building and then stuck to it right through to finish. That's not how it's gone. I'm sure that's how a lot of people's projects go though. I mean, we're probably not special. Like things, things change. You kind of have new ideas and you adjust and there's kind of a flow to it. Okay. So by using the space and living in it, you could figure out things that you maybe wouldn't have known just on paper or in SketchUp. Mm -hmm. exactly yes. yeah I, I can definitely identify with the fridge thing I put a tiny fridge in my tiny house plans and you know I built the cabinet to fit it and um, I curse that decision every day I don't know why I thought that a like a mini fridge would have been enough for me I think I was so enamored with like oh I'm just gonna eat more fresh vegetables and like gonna 
buy fresh produce more often, but like in Vermont in the middle of the winter, there is no fresh produce. <laughs> and like having a bigger size fridge for storing food and a bigger freezer, especially, just uh, would make our lives a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a really good kind of a thing to keep in mind with tiny houses is to stay realistic because i love your comment of sort of uh, fo- uh feeling like you want to go for that I- tiny house ideal but it's not always realistic you know we we joked about what did you always say about you know imagining that you're going to read a book and you're yeah like i wasn't going to watch tv i was just going to like read poetry when i lived in a tiny house or something <laughs> like that but in reality, it's like I'm still watching TV, like laying on the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the designs that we would see were kind of like a large living room with the full height ceiling. And when we looked at those, we're like, well, where do you lounge? Like, where do you, you know, everyone has a couch if you're in an apartment or like a family room or TV room or in a regular house. There's kind of a full lounge area that you can really kind of sprawl out and just and relax. And everyone's used to that. But we saw the tiny house design trend was to not include that. And it seems like such an important part of a living space. And so we knew that we wanted that. And so that's one thing. I mean, one of the things I like most about our design is that we it did stay realistic with that, uh, like some of those types of things right from the get-go and um, designed in this crazy sort of living room, computer room, TV room hybrid thing that uh, works really well and it feels super cozy. And we, you know, we watch Netflix while we eat our meals, which is what we had been doing in that apartment that we were in before uh, getting on the whole tiny house thing. So we, we, uh, you know, steered clear of that uh, over commitment to some brand new lifestyle. We just brought our existing lifestyle into the tiny house and it's more like all it's more like the small changes in your life that uh make the difference for kind of being minimalist and you kind of pick away at things one at a time i think just being in the tiny space makes you more you know once you've taken that step you're obviously in a mindset that you want to contribute to you know reducing your consumption and your waste and that kind of stuff kind of comes naturally. And you're just able to eat more easily, make an effort towards that, but you don't need to just say that the day that you move into your tiny house, you're flicking a switch and just abandoning all a life of consumption and, and modern comforts, you know, there is a transition time and tiny houses can certainly help you change your life, but it's not going to be like the flick of a switch. It's going to happen more slowly over time as you adjust to that style of living. Yeah. The tiny house is like a tool, not the solution to a lifestyle change. I want to get back to the YouTube channel briefly because I've been so impressed with the quality of your videos and the quality of the instruction. Like just the other day, I was working on writing something about electricity and grounding. And I was like, I wonder if there's any good like tutorial or info about bonding your trailer. And sure enough, there is the tiny nest video on grounding and bonding your trailer. So I was curious if 
how you approached like doing all that video work while you were building? Like, did you have a master plan or did you just like stop construction and be like, (laughs) oh, this is a good topic for a video? Like, how did you how did you do that? You know, we'd sometimes just film a bunch of stuff, whatever we were doing that day, and that would go on for several days. And then when I'd go to edit, sometimes I would just pick a chunk of footage that was relevant to a particular task that we've been doing and then call that an episode. So it's just kind of, I guess what I'm saying is we reached a point where we'd just film pretty much everything or anything that seemed interesting or seemed like something we had done some problem solving in order to achieve. We would film that, talk about it, show it, and then somehow we would take all that jumble of footage and chop it into episodes and and put it out there. And because, like I said earlier, I uh, am an electrician. Obviously, I felt pretty comfortable in making multiple electrical videos and really getting into those details where it's like if, if someone else was a framer or a finisher or a woodworker or something and they built a tiny house, they could really dive into those details uh, and really add their personal um, experience to it. And so I did that with electrical. And eventually, I should mention that the other thing that's not finished yet, which it's all physically in, but it just hasn't, I haven't finished off all the controls for it, but we're going to have sort of like a computer controlled lighting system and uh, sort of climate control and stuff. And so that's kind of my nerdy touch that I've added into it as well that I'm going to kind of get uh, get more into and really highlight eventually when we sort of finish off the uh, the video series. So as an electrician or somebody who is trained as an electrician, do you think that electrical is something that people should DIY with the appropriate research and and practice or do you think it's something that should be hired out to a professional um i would say the default would be definitely to hire someone it's funny because i have been exposed to a variety of feedback out there like i've had a lot of people ask questions and make comments on the videos i've had emails uh and i get the sense that there is a wide variety of kind of natural ability to pick up on things out there. So it kind of depends on the person. Like I I don't like to scare people out of doing stuff because we actually found that that we've noticed a lot of that in the tiny house world with DIYing is that there's some people out there that just want to kind of spread fear and be like, you know, there's all these people out here build uh, out there building all, all these uh, houses and they don't know what they're doing and they're making it dangerous. And if you tow that thing, you know, into a, a neighborhood and it hasn't been inspected, it hasn't been done properly and it catches fire and, you know, you're going to set out other people's houses on fire and everything. And it's coming from this like really intense kind of point of view of fear. Wow. And while that's, it's totally a legitimate concern, it boils down to how competent the person is. Like it's, it's like that, Uh, a few bad apples or whatever will ruin it for everyone. You know, there's a lot, there's tons of people out there that could with the, you know, doing the right research and with a really critical mind being self-critical and knowing their limitations are capable of doing the work safely. But then there's also people out there that just 
will not be able to get, you know, get a deep enough understanding, you know, based on their background or just natural ability. And when those people get overconfident is when you have a bad situation. So it's kind of the exception rather than the rule, but it's definitely out there. So I, I just generally caution people. If I get the sense from a comment or a question that they may not know, you know, ba- based on the uh, the meat of the the question that's coming in, if it kind of sounds like they're on the wrong track, I usually, I, I usually, okay, first of all, I usually give them kind of a very jargony answer, or not jargony, but like I use really uh, specific electrical lingo, and then I say, if you don't understand everything that I'm saying, it's probably a good indication that you need to hire a professional because you need to have a certain depth of understanding before you should feel comfortable with tackling anything that has a potential hazard to it. You know, like electrical and propane or anything that could go awry. It's like you really need to be 100% certain that you're full, you have a full understanding of what you're doing before tackling something like that. Yeah, that is kind of a paradox of the tiny house movement because one of the things that makes tiny houses so affordable is when you build them yourself. You know, you can build a tiny house yourself for $20,000 with mostly new materials, being very careful about, you know, choosing affordable materials. But, you know, to have one built for you, I've not seen houses for less than maybe $50,000. So it's like choosing that balance between what am I going to hire out? What am I going to do myself? And, and as you suggested, not becoming overconfident, being aware of your limitations and, you know, turning to hired help when it is something that is potentially very dangerous. But as I was thinking about how to respond, I was just like, I guess everything could be potentially dangerous. Like everything from framing to sheathing to electrical to propane to like heating and cooling, like everything has the potential to be dangerous if done wrong. And yet we're not seeing tiny houses like en masse falling down and like killing people on the highways. Yeah, I have yet to hear. I wonder if if any bad things have happened and people have successfully kept them hush hush but have you heard any horror stories of uh anything burning down or any anything like building related like we're talking about going bad and causing injury or property damage i have heard stories of people kind of getting swindled by builders and buying tiny houses that were not sealed properly so had terrible leaks or like systems not well thought out and so like the house wasn't able to stay warm enough or those kinds of things Mm -hmm. i've seen one tiny house like get into a bad accident on the highway and it looked like it was because of the load like the trailer load was really poorly distributed Oh, yeah. The person was okay. But I guess the answer, the short answer is no. I haven't heard of any, like, unsafe tiny house kills unsuspecting family kind of stories. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens eventually, but it is actually kind of surprising, like, pleasantly surprising that there hasn't been anything bad yet. Because it does show that, you know, despite 
you know, I'm sure there are some people going in and being overconfident. They're still managing to put together stuff that's safe so far anyway. Yeah. Um, and just statistically though, like with the volume of, you know, they've become so much uh, more popular, someone's going to mess something up eventually, but that, you know, that happens all the time in regular houses. Like how many electrical fires are there in regular houses that were built by professionals, proper contractors? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. And that's, it's an interesting thing I always talk about because as an electrician, I got certified as an electrician. I got all this training and I understand, how, you know, more clearly what the system is with the inspector and getting the permit and everything. And it's basically kind of like a filter to not eliminate but re reduce the number of hacks that are out there doing work. They're still out there. There's a lot less of them when you go through these official channels because it's harder for those people to make it through those official channels, but it's not impossible. So just because someone is certified or something has been inspected doesn't mean that it's perfect. It just means that it's been checked and there's been some you know, oversight, some second opinions and things, but that those that's still because of human error can't catch everything. So just staying realistic, you know, is important when on this subject with tiny houses that people like to think that anything built that's not, hasn't been certified or inspected is automatically terrible, but it's kind of, it, you know, it's kind of the, the two opposites where it's like probably most things are fine when they're not certified and the occasional thing is not fine even when it has been certified. So it just comes down to really being being critical and trying to make the best thing that you possibly can and not cut any corners either with your own work or when it comes to deciding when to hire someone. Well, I also want to talk about SketchUp and the 3D home tours. Um, so I was curious, um, well, I'll first say, I first heard about you because of your, your SketchUp course, which is a wonderful how-to for people who have never used SketchUp, who want to learn how to use it with the goal of being able to design your tiny house. What drew you to SketchUp in the first place? You know, Had you done any work in it before you built your tiny house? I was aware of it and had you know, touched it prior to uh, doing the tiny house, but... Um, and, and so because it was in the back of my mind, uh, and I'm like a total computer nerd, it was a natural choice to do the design. And then as we were going through it, you know, at that point, I had never framed anything, sheathed anything, framed and sized windows and things, put on roofing, put on like fascia boards and stuff. Like I'd never actually physically done these things, so I didn't know what to expect when you are up there with a piece of material trying to put it in place, like, is it going to interfere with something? Is it going to be too small? All these things were just not naturally known to me. So going through SketchUp in that 3D environment, you know, being on the computer and working in 3D is came like super naturally to me. And then it allowed for me to kind of test, test build the whole structure making mistakes like you know control z undoing so easily and doing an entire virtual build and count we encountered so many little things where i was like oh wait is this but if i frame it like this then the sheathing isn't going to line up so i need to nudge it down another inch or inch and a half so that it covers the 
the stud on the other end. And then I would have to shift all the framing over and like just all these tiny little things that if I got far enough in the build and then realized that in real life, it would be super annoying and would cause either a whole bunch of extra work or um, a, like wasted material. And I was identifying all those things throughout the process of designing it. And there was like, you know, after work every day, I was doing SketchUp for like yeah months there yeah. to prepare. It was really a really cool feeling though when we were literally like cutting the wood from the SketchUp model. Like I was measuring off the SketchUp model, cutting wood in real life, and then like putting up the framing and it all fit together perfectly. It was like really neat. Like you said, that day when we raised the walls was the real moment of truth because they had to, you know, meet and then they had to line up in such a way that we were going to fasten them together and everything. And um, when that worked, we were like, well, this is, this is amazing. SketchUp is awesome. And then we continued to use it to make additional iterations on figuring out the interior and whatnot. Uh, and then I think it was just the following summer when we heard, uh, I think it was sort of driven by us going to the Jamboree. Mm -hmm. So there's the, the tiny house Jamboree was the first, it's 2015, I think. Yeah. It was in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, at that time it was like the first big, like national, uh, convention where tiny houses were going to be brought to it and there'd be all the vendors and everyone like of the tiny house world was sort of going. It was like a big buzz. And I decided to, to make a tutorial for SketchUp so we could have something to kind of sell when we got there. And uh, so I locked myself in my, in my room for two weeks and just like made that tutorial. And it's been awesome having that because that, um, because we actually sell that, you know, we, we make some ad revenue off YouTube. That's how that works, uh, but it's pretty minimal. And having, once we added that second revenue stream where people are buying this tutorial, it's that really started snowballing our online presence. And now I don't know if you want me to go into the virtual tours or is there, is there anything else about SketchUp that I missed? <laughs> well, no, I, I wanted to ask you, you talked about how cool it is that, you know, you build this house in SketchUp and the whole thing exists in full scale in this magical 3d, you know, computer space. And so how is the tour different or how does the tour add to that? The two scenarios that are really applicable for using virtual reality are you've got a SketchUp model that you've, uh, you've made and you're going to build it, but you want to see what it's going to actually feel like. Cause there's no, there's no um, substitute for actually being inside a space. You can look at it through the 3d model, which is don't get me wrong, super awesome to be able to visualize it that way and, you know, manipulate it and everything, but then to actually go in there and stand in it at full scale and look around and kind of move around and check out different parts of it and see, you know, does this feel like it's got enough elbow room? Oh, there's like a lot of wasted space here, this and that. You're only going to know those things by actually feeling, getting a sense of the space. So I can now basically do that. And then also it, for, for builders, if you've built a house and say, uh, and then you sell it. Say you're like a really small scale builder. You build a house, you sell that one, and then you have another client comes and wants you to build them another house. 
you don't have anything to show, like you don't have a show home for them to come through and check out and talk about design or, or anything or, or to like showcase your work. So this is applicable for that as well, because you can take the spherical photos of your freshly finished tiny house, sell the house, it goes away, but you have the ability to still basically transport back in time, back into that space using virtual reality and get, you know, people who might be interested in, in the house to actually experience what it's like to be in it. You don't have to go bug the, uh, the current owner and ask them, if you can go, go do a tour of the sold house or whatever. That's so cool. But yeah, <laughs> so I'm super stoked on, uh, on where this is going. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests um, is what are three resources? So it could be movies, books, people, YouTube channels, what have you. What are three resources that, that helped you along your tiny house journey that you'd like to share with others? Hmm. Well, obviously I would say the um, We the Tiny House People documentary by Kirsten Dirksen was like sort of what got the ball rolling. Um, uh, well, Tiny House Customs. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Stole that one. Swiped it. Uh, Tiny House Customs is a YouTube channel and uh, he was a DIY. Uh, we feel like he's kind of like our counterpart because we're we're two people. He's one person. Uh, our designs were different. We're in like different climates and the approach to the, the I think he was a framer or he's got some construction so, yeah. experience and I had electrical experience. So it's kind of like two, a lot of slightly different um, skills and approaches and design. And there's lots of little differences, but it was, we started at the same time and had the same kind of, let's make a YouTube channel to document the build. So um, that's a super good one. If you liked our videos, it's a good counterpart to our series. And probably the Morrison's build DVDs were, I think we watched those like seven times Yeah, just watching wow. him build a tiny house before we got started was really valuable for us. Yeah, that was a good one because um, again, it was like a different approach. Like mm -hmm. the, the design was a lot different. His building techniques were different. So it's, it was great to see a nice variety. What is each of your favorite videos on your YouTube channel that you've ever done? Mm, that's a good question. I think my favorite video was like this goofy one that we made where it's like Jake and I playing Nintendo in the tiny house. It was just super fun to film. I was gonna that was my favorite video too actually but before before that I don't know if it's before or after, but anyway, the the other one that I really like is the siding time lapse, which is funny because neither of these are like episodic or are, are, are episodes in the build. They're kind of these offshoots and they were the most different and kind of probably that's why they're the most fun. But uh, the time lapse, I don't know, the music is really yeah. cool and it just it actually kind of takes me back yeah. to that first I know, yeah. push because we were really made a lot of progress in the first few months or even like day one of the build. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty oh, cringy. Yeah. yeah don't, don't watch we our were first so videos. like young and hopeful. <laughs> Very cool. I can't wait to watch those. Thank you both so much for, for being guests today. This was really fun. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. 
Thank you so much to Jake Stevenson and Kiva Ghani for being guests on the show. You can find the notes from today's episode at thetinyhouse.net slash tinynestproject. Do you like what you've heard on the show today? Please take a moment to rate and review the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And finally, if you're looking for the ultimate guide to planning your tiny house, check out my comprehensive resource, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house on wheels and comes in three different packages to help you get a jumpstart on your tiny house build. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars with Tiny House Decisions. Learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Uh, you could say Jake or Jacob, and I haven't had breakfast yet. We're on the West Coast, man. It's very, <laughs> very early.